0: Well, when I was in, um, a kid, one of my, uh, my favorite sport was, was baseball. And one of my favorite players was Tony Gwynn. I don't know if you've got a picture of that. You want to put that up there? This guy right here. Tony Gwynn played for the San Diego Padres. He was a right fielder. And what I loved about Tony Gwynn was that he wasn't a home run hitter. He was a contact hitter. And he, he, he produced these high averages. And, and I really liked Tony Gwynn. I knew a lot about him. And um, one day... When I was about 12 years old, my friend, whose dad owned a baseball card shop, said, hey, we'll show up to the shop around 8 o'clock in the morning. And I said, oh, okay, that's kind of strange. So me and my friend went over to this baseball card shop, and we love baseball cards, so going early wasn't a, a big thing for us. It was a Saturday. We show up there, we open the door, and lo and behold, Tony Gwynn is there. And I'm 12 years old, and here is the guy that I had, to, I had all these baseball cards of, and I thought I knew a whole bunch about him. And then he spent two hours with us, just talking about how you'd hit the ball. And, and all of a sudden, because I spent time with him, I actually knew Tony Gwen. Instead of knowing about him, I knew him, and I had this joy in just spending time with him. And as, as Christians, we too have that experience with Christ. True joy for us comes from not knowing about Christ. Instead, true joy comes from knowing Christ in an intimate way. So the title of today's message is The Joy of Knowing Christ. So if you're not there, go ahead and turn to Philippians 3. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 9, what Larry just read. So let me give you a recap of where we're at. So Paul's in prison, and he's writing a letter to the church at Philippi. Now the church at Philippi is a great church. It's a church that has been very, um, very supportive to Paul in his ministry, And Paul sits in this Roman prison and he he hears some things that are are happening at at Philippi. So he writes this letter to the Philippians and um, he he really focuses on this element of joy and rejoicing in Christ. And in chapter 2, he starts to talk about this issue of unity. Make sure you guys are united. And then he unleashes this Theological discourse about Christ and how we're to imitate the humility of Christ in order to to be united with one another. And now where we stand in uh, chapter 3 verse 1, Paul shifts his focus back to the idea of rejoicing in Christ. And specifically he reminds us that once we know the value of Christ, we experience a joyful freedom and confidence that is the basis of our identity. And Paul knows that the Philippians will face some, some opposition from the culture. They, they are in a, a Roman culture that is antithetical to the gospel. And he knows that they're going to experience some issues. And this is very applicable to us as well, being here in New England, being here in the United States. Because we will face continual opposition from the culture, but we must remain steadfast in our joy. So let me pray and ask God to bless our time. Father, we come to you right now and we thank you for another chance to freely worship you in this place. I pray that your Holy Spirit would illuminate your word. I pray that you would teach us the things that we do not know. We love you, Lord. May you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. The first thing I want to look at is the joy of knowing the freedom of Christ. Verse 1 says, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. And it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. Paul starts this off with a command. He says, rejoice, rejoice in the Lord. Be happy in Christ. Then he gives this affirmation. He says, it's no trouble for me to write to you the same things again. As a matter of fact, it's a safeguard for you. He's telling them, remember the things that I taught you when I was with you and the things that we exchanged. Remember the gospel, because that's what Paul was teaching. He says, remember the good news of Christ. Remember that life in Christ is about a relationship, not about religious rigor. So why does he say this? Well, verse 2, he says, watch out, be vigilant for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of flesh. Paul had had a, a run-in with a group of people in Galatia that were called Judaizers. There was this group of people that said, in order for you to be a good Christian, you must be a, first be a good Jew. And so they would say, you can't accept Christ. You first need to be circumcised, you need to do this, you need to do that. And they were very legalistic And what you had to do before you could accept Christ. And Paul in Galatians, the epistle to the Galatians, outwardly speaks out against that. And it appears that there's some Judaizers, there's some people that have infiltrated here in, in Philippi. And so Paul is saying, watch out for these lies and legalism. And we have to remember that the church at Philippi is a good church. But good churches are, are prone to being sucked into um, religious legalism very fast. There's a very fine line at times. I can could, I could remember when um, Erica and I were coming back from Iraq. We weren't married yet. Uh, we were going to be married. And I was looking for a home church. And I went online and I found this church. And I thought, wow, this is a great church. The Statement of Faith looks great. I'm seeing pictures. The people look pretty good, I, I guess. I, um, <laughs> And I said, I could fit in there, you know, this looks good. So I show up, and um, I'm in a pair of jeans and a, and a, and a collared shirt, and I got my NIV Bible, and I'm walking. And I walk in there, and the first thing I notice is everyone's wearing a suit or, or, a, um, or a very, uh, you know, formal dress. And everyone has a King James Bible. And I'm like, okay, um, and not a big deal. So I go. The worship service was fine. It was very traditional, and I was like, this is good. Um, afterwards, uh, a gentleman pulled me aside, and he said, you know, when we come to church, we like to look our best. And I was like, and I know, you know, I was, I was catching what he was putting down. And I'm like, I'm like, well, I think God cares more about your heart than about what you're, you're, you're dressing. And quite frankly, that was the best thing I had to wear that day. I only had mil- military uniforms, and that was the best thing I had to wear. And so this church necessarily wasn't doctrinally bad, but they had heaped a bunch of legalism on top of things, and and it was not a good thing. So Paul here gives us three truths to protect us from legalism. He says first, in verse 3, he says first, we serve God by His Spirit, not by our willpower. It is by God's Spirit that we work out our salvation. He is the one that wills for us to do that. Two, we boast in Christ and not ourselves. This is all about Jesus. We do stuff so Jesus is famous, not so that we're famous, so we can say, oh, look how holy I am. I look really holy, don't I? It's about Jesus. We boast in Jesus. Three, we put no confidence in our flesh, and we resist the gospel of human achievements. And we're very prone to the gospel of human, human achievements. Listen, I'm a, I'm a check-the-box guy. I love lists, and I love checking those things off. So I'm very prone to that, and I know that, and, and as a people, we're prone to that, and we're called to embrace the truth of freedom in Christ. Galatians 5.1 says, for it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. It, there's no reason for us to go back and say, oh, I have to work for this, because then we diminish grace. So why is this so important for us to watch out for lies and legalism? It, it, it distracts us from the freedom of the gospel and it zaps our joy away. It just takes our joy away. And Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. Watch out for that, those lies and legalism because that'll just take away all the joy you have in Christ. So how do we protect our freedom in Christ against lies and legalism? We have to preach the gospel to ourselves every day, every single day. Now, maybe you're saying, what does that even look like? What does it look like to preach the gospel to yourself? It means every single day you wake up and you say, God, I have fallen short. Yet, by your grace, I am saved. And it's by that truth, I will walk in that truth. I, when you look at me, you see the righteousness of Christ, not who I am and what I've done. Thank you, Lord. And we live in that spirit. We we tell ourselves that every single day. You know, some of us, like, look at ourselves in the mirror and you say, you are good. You are, you know, that self-affirmation thing. (laughs) Don't lie. I know you do. All right? The point is, is we're supposed to preach the gospel to ourselves every single day. So are you preaching the gospel to yourself every single day and living in the truth of that? So that's the first thing. Second, we see, I want to talk about the joy of knowing the confidence of Christ. Christ. How many of you have ever had to put a resume together and go job searching? It is absolutely um, terrifying. When I was putting my, 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 my resume together and, and putting my name in the hat at different churches before I was called the Free Christian Church, um, I remember thinking, you know, I have some pretty good experiences, you know, um, and I put them on my resume and I remember a particular um, Church in the area, I won't say because they're pretty close, but um, I went there and it was like, they're like, Yeah, this is kind of garbage. Like, we don't, we, we, we don't think that you're really qualified for here. And, and I was like, And they flew me all the way out to Massachusetts to tell me that. So I was like, Wow, okay, that's crazy. Um, but I was shattered. My confidence was shattered because I thought my confidence was really in what I had done. And so here Paul lays out his resume. In order to prove that if you could have confidence in your achievements and status, he would have confidence. Instead, he says it's all a loss for the sake of Christ. And and let's put this in perspective here. Paul's in prison. He's in prison and death is a real thing for him. He's not going to mince words. He's not going to lie. He's going to say, check this out. I'll tell you what's real. This is what's real. This is what really matters. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. So this was a, something that, that Jews would do on the eighth day, they, the infant, male infants were, were circumcised. It would be something like equivalent to our infant baptism. He says, put no confidence in rituals alone. Instead, have confidence in the one that these things point to, Jesus Christ. He says, I was of the people of Israel. He says, put no confidence in your ethnicity. Instead, have confidence in the king that has created all people groups, Jesus Christ. He says, I was of the tribe of Benjamin. The tribe of Benjamin was a revered tribe. He says, put no confidence in where your family is from or the rank they have in society. Instead, have confidence in the high-ranking eternal son, Jesus Christ. He says, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was a Jew of Jews. I was pretty awesome. I was talking to uh, somebody. Um, She she said, I could use her name, but Jane, Jane Mulcahy. Um, She said, Brian, I loved being a Catholic. I was a really good Catholic. And she says, I was a Catholic of Catholics. And, and I, and I love the tradition. I could, I could get the tradition. But here Paul says, I was the Jew of Jews. He says, put no confidence in that tradition. Instead, have confidence in the salvation in the Savior that stands above tradition, Jesus Christ. He says, in re- regard to the law, I was a Pharisee. Paul was a Pharisee. A fer- the Pharisees were... Um, Pharisee actually means separate, separate ones. They really... Um, Really, we're all about keeping the law. He says, put no confidence in rule keeping. He said, have confidence in the one that seeks worship from those that have a broken spirit and a contrite heart Jesus Christ. He says, As for zeal, I persecuted the church. Paul persecuted the church. He was a persecutor of the Christian church, he was passionate about his cause. It would be similar to those today who say, I'm really passionate about social justice for the sake of social justice. He says, put no confidence in your passion for your cause. Instead, passionately pursue your relationship with Christ, the source of confidence. And out of that abundance, confidently do good. He says, as for righteousness, based on the law, I was faultless. He didn't say it was sinless. He just says, I was really obedient. He says, put no confidence in your obedience. Instead, have confidence in the salvation that comes from trusting in the obedience of Christ. And quite frankly, our culture lacks a resilient confidence. We have to ask ourselves, well, why? Why does it lack this confidence? It's because we put our confidence in things and people that are unable to bear the weight of this world. Think about it. You put your confidence in your job, and your, your position in your job, and that job's not guaranteed. That could be gone tomorrow. And then it, it, it leaves. I mean, you know, I was a Marine for 21 years. I thank God that that wasn't my confidence. If that was my confidence, I would be in a hurt locker, and I know there's many of people that I served with. That's, that's where they're at. Some of us put confidence in success, and so when we're not achieving the success and the measure of success that the world says we should have, we go and we, we just we feel like this hole, like there's something missing. But it can't bear the weight of the world. Some of us have confidence in our past. We remember the good old days. Remember those good old days? And somehow they just get better and better every day? <laughs> Some of us put our confidence in our spouse. And when our spouse lets us down, then we just, we, we, we experience this, this downing, this depression. Some of us put our confidence in our children. It's all about our children, and if our children don't aren't successful in the ways that we think they should be sex- successful, then we think there's something wrong with us. We put our success in politicians, education, religion, culture, background, the whole nine yards. But here's the thing. Only Christ can bear the weight of this world. John 16, says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And it's in Christ we overcome the world, and we have confidence. Christ is our confidence. So I have to ask you, what or in whom is your confidence in? Really think about this. What are things in your life that when when something happens, it just breaks you down? Is it something with a job? Is it something with your kid? What is your confidence in? So that's the second thing. Finally, I want to look at the joy of knowing the value of Christ. Verse 8, he says, What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Paul is making it clear that knowing Christ is what really matters. He's had some time to contemplate this. Have you ever been in a a really bad position and you just have time to think and you're just like, this is what really matters in my life? Like, he's in jail. I can think about being in different places in life. I can specifically remember being in a sniper hide, a hole in Iraq, thinking about what really matters in life. (laughs) And here's Paul's in prison. He's like, you know what really matters in life? Knowing Christ. That's what matters in life. He doesn't say knowing about Christ. He says knowing Christ. This implies an intimate relationship that is prefaced in faith. And this prize is so good that Paul has lost everything for it. He's lost his social status, his cultural prominence, his religious adoration. Remember, he was a Pharisee. He was a good Pharisee. He was a leader, and he was a very skilled person. And he's like, I've lost it all. I'm sure there were some family fallouts. He lost it all. And if you were to go to Paul and say, Paul, was it worth it? Was this worth it, Paul? He would say, yes. It was absolutely worth it. As a matter of fact, he says, I consider them all garbage. All of that stuff, it's garbage. That word garbage means dung, excrement. It's a very like, hardcore word. And Paul uses this language to express that all the things that were valued at one time in his life were hindrance to the thing that was of ultimate value, namely knowing Jesus Christ. I mean, think about this. How many many things do we have in our lives that we value so much, and then a cycle of a year comes around and it's garbage to us? Right? We throw it out. Like, yeah, I used to think this was good, you know. I don't need it anymore. That's what Paul says, everything else in in comparison to Christ. So we have to ask ourselves, how does this happen? Like what happened to Paul? How did Paul go from this guy who was like, he was a a religious rock star? He's a religious rock star in the Jewish circuit of religion. How did he go from that, that to a guy who says, I count it all lost for the sake of knowing Christ? Well, it happened because he came face to face with Christ. He stared and he was came face to face with Christ. As Paul was persecuting the church in Acts, read that the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, appears to him and he comes face to face with Christ. He was forced to get real with himself. He was, he, as he stood in the righteousness of Christ and seen the holiness of Christ, he realized his utter depravity and his unrighteousness before God. And really, this is the key for us to value in Christ. We're not good. We're not good. When we stand before a holy God, we're not good. And he got that. He thought, oh, I have a lot of these good things, these good attributes, these good things that I've done, and who I am. And as he stood in front of Christ, he realized, it's nothing, It's garbage in comparison to knowing Christ. And for all of Paul's efforts, he realized that he fell short. As a matter of fact, we all fall short. We read, all have fallen short of the glory of God. And here's the problem that we all face. Only righteous people are going to heaven. Only righteous people are going to heaven. And since we don't possess an eternal righteousness, we need a righteousness from outside of us. Some have called it an alien righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I want to I demonstrate this, just to cement this. So I've asked a couple people to come and be my demonstrators. Come on. Ben, why don't you go right here? Come on. So this is our sin, all right? This is our sin. I'm going to give you your your, your sin right now, all right, Ben? Thank you. Thank you. This This is our sin. This is all of us. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And because we've all sinned, we deserve God's wrath. But God sends his only son, Jesus Christ, who lives an obedient life, obedient to the point of death on a cross. And so Christ has lived and he's, he, he has this righteousness, this, this righteousness that was, came from his obedience with life on this earth. So this is righteousness. On the cross, Christ took our sin. Thanks Ben. Take this on. Christ took our right... One, just have one other... There you go. He took our sin. And God went and he judged that sin. He poured his wrath on that. So it's no longer gone. But here's the thing, Ben, what do you have in your hands? Nothing. He's justified, there's no more sin, but he's still not going to heaven because you need to be righteous to go to heaven. It's like your bank forgiving you of a debt. That doesn't make you rich. So Christ goes and takes his righteousness and he gives it to us. And when God sees us, he sees the righteousness of Christ and we are made righteous. And that's forever and you can't lose it. That's the exchange here. That's what happens. That's what Christ did. This is what Paul says is of extreme value to him. Thank you guys, I appreciate that. This is what is of extreme value to Christ, or for, to Paul. He realizes this. And maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, Brian, I've put my trust and faith in Christ, and I do believe I'm righteous, but I don't feel righteous. Here's the thing. When we put our faith and trust in Christ, we are positionally righteous. But we don't feel righteous. We're, we're made, being made righteous. We're being made into the image of God. So we're righteous positionally, but God has also promised us to make us righteous and to make us into Christ's likeness. It's sort of like when you become a parent or a step parent or whatever. You go and, like, when I became a dad, it's like, you're a dad. And I'm like, I'm a dad. That's the truth. I'm a dad. I don't know what it's like to be a dad. I'm still figuring that out. And this is what, what, what God is saying. He's saying, you are positionally righteous. When I see you, I see the righteousness of my son, and I've promised to make you righteous until one day when you sit with me in glory. And this is a promise, and we need to walk in the reality of that promise and value Christ above all things. And here's the tactic of the enemy. The enemy will use our mistakes, and he will devalue what Christ has done and is doing in our walk and relationship with him. He'll go and he'll say, see, you messed up again. That righteousness stuff, that's all garbage. That wasn't true. But we have to trust in the promises of Christ, the promises that God has given us in Christ's here's the thing, when we come face to face with Christ, things change. They change immediately because we are made really righteous in Him, and God sees the righteousness of His Son, and they, they change progressively for us. And my fear is that many of us know of Christ, but we don't know Christ intimately. Everything in, in a person's life revolves around what they, they value most. If you If you... If you value your job most, everything revolves around your job. If you value your kids most, everything revolves around the kids. If you, whatever. If you value money most, everything revolves about, around making money. So everything in a person's life, life revolves around what they value most. And for Christians, that's supposed to be Christ. And I feel this is where many of us are at a crossroads. And because we do not value Christ above all things... We don't experience the full measure of joy in Christ. Until you just like throw it out there and say, you know what, this is all about Christ. This is all about Christ. You're not experiencing the full measure of joy that you could have. Listen to Paul. It's all garbage. I've tried it all. It's all garbage. Maybe you're sitting there and you're saying, how do I do this? I hear you, Brian, but what does this look like in my life? It comes down to this. Christ must reign in every single aspect of your life. We need to stop compartmentalizing Christ and saying, you know what? I love Christ when I come to church. I love Christ during these times. I love Christ during this time. But these times, this is who I am. I'm I'm totally someone devoid of Christ. We need to bring back the sacred into our lives. The fact is that we can even breathe right now, that you could have this exchange of oxygen and Christ is allowing it to happen. He's the agent of creation. The fact that we could even stand without being judged by God is because of Christ. Christ is everything. He he pours his grace through every interaction with each other and good things that we come in contact with. We have to see Christ in all things. So I have to ask you, do you value Christ above all? Thank you. (laughs) It was interesting. I'm going to close up here. Um, I was talking to this 19-year-old young man, and I asked him, I said, what do you think is wrong with the church? I don't know why I asked him that, but I figured I don't get too many 19-year-old young men like I come across them except my son, and he won't say that. So I, I go and I say, tell me, what's wrong with the church? And he says, you know, Pastor Brian people want real joy. People are hurting. And we're tired of, my generation's tired of the syrupy platitudes that the church has been giving us. I was like, wow, I wanted to high-five that kid. I was like, whoa. He's like, we, don't, we, we want the church to sound different than the world. Just give it to us straight. Even if we don't believe you, at least you're giving it to us straight. And I thought, wow, this is coming from a 19-year-old young man. Here's the thing. Real joy only comes from knowing the real Jesus. Not the fake Jesus. Not the Jesus we've made up in our minds. Not the one we want to put in a nice, neat little box. The real Jesus. And I'll be honest with you. I'm just, I'm done settling for less. I'm done. I don't know if you're done, but I'm done. I just, I'm done. I want joy. I want more of Jesus. Jesus if you're sitting here and you've walked with Jesus for a while and you're saying, I want more intimacy with Jesus, and you're like, I don't know how. Listen, we just sang a song about we're we're doing this journey together. Contact me. Talk to another brother or sister in Christ. If you're not sure what your next steps are on how to grow in Christ, contact me. Maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, I don't know Jesus. I don't know him. I'd love to talk to you about that. As a matter of fact, our prayer partners would love to talk to you about that after our service. They'll be right there in that corner. Here's the thing, folks. We have two choices. The dung of self-effort in plastic religion or the joy of knowing Christ that satisfies us for eternity. I, cho- I choose the joy part. I don't know about you. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for just giving us the opportunity to be righteous. Are you kidding me, God? I thank you for that. This is just unbelievable to me. I thank you for saving wretched sinners like us that don't deserve it, but yet you pour out your grace in Christ on us. Thank you for that. I pray for anyone who's in here who wants to know you more, wants to know you deeper. I pray that you would stir in their hearts. I pray that you would get us all to the point where we're just... We're ready to cast off that gospel of human achievement and just embrace fully what you've already achieved on the cross. I pray for those that don't know you yet. I pray that your spirit would just stir in their hearts and give them the faith to put trust in you, Jesus Christ. So we love you, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.